0: AVL, inspired by the past, reimagining the future. Dear audience, my name is Ludmilla Dehr. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast whether at live events or in the digital world. We bring together cool, promising tech startups with exciting, innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets, get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Today, I have again a surprise for our audience. We just recently had Gustav Tuschen from AVL in our premium panel. The panel was so exciting that we made further follow-up episodes out of it. And so today we have three EVPs from AVL with us to look at the past, the present, and the future of one of the leading development partners of car manufacturers on the occasion of AVL's 75th anniversary. So I would like to welcome our guests. We have Gustav Tuschen with us from the segment Engineering as EVP Business Development and Global Operations for Commercial Vehicles and Power Systems. Our second guest is Mario Brunner, also from the segment Engineering as EVP Engineering and Technology. And our third guest is Matthias Dank from the segment Testing Solutions as EVP Global Business Development, Sales and International Operations. Now let's start our panel discussion. AVL, inspired by the past, reimagining the future. Let's start. So this is a very special year for AVL, since the company is celebrating its 75th anniversary of technology innovation and excellence. Through seven decades, AVL records groundbreaking achievements, technological advancements, and collaborative partnerships that have made AVL The mobility technology leader that it is today. Mario, when AVL was founded, what was the vision of the company and how has it evolved to the present day? Please take us through this fascinating journey.
1: Yeah, AVL's strength has always been very well prepared for the future, so the pioneering spirit, the drive for innovation, you can really feel that in the company and we take it really serious to listen to our experts, to be very open for new ideas. And this leads to a huge number of patents in the company which are active. So 2,000 patents. So this innovation spirit, you can really see that also in numbers. To drive innovation, you also need a culture that allows failures. Our owner-professor List always pushes us to only accept the boundaries of physics. And the way to the boundaries is very stony. So to have this culture in the company that we drive the spirit, that we want to reach these boundaries is a key element. And the second thing I want to mention is the global expansion started in the 90s. In the meantime, we are having 90 companies in 26 countries. So we are really global. And that uh, to have this spirit and a global base is a key element of, of the company and how it evolved in the last years.
0: I guess it's also helping that the founder is still the owner of the company. You still kind of see the vision in front of you, right? So when, when the, that person is still leading the company. So, and really inspiring to, to have this kind of no fear of failure. Super, super important for innovative companies. So my next question is for Matthias. So as we explore AVL's present and future, let's dive into companies, stable core competences and the areas that will witness the most significant changes in the coming years. So could you provide us with insights into AVL's current business areas and highlight where we can expect the most dynamic transformation?
2: Thank you, Ludmilla. As of now, we are organized in three distinctive strategic business units we have engineering simulation solutions and testing solutions. And by that, we are a partner for our customers in the mobility as well as the energy sectors and provide final solutions, but also processes, methods, tools and test systems throughout all the phases that our customers go through, whether that's early concept development, R&D, production and in-use. And as Mario pointed out, so originating 75 years ago with a centered focus around the internal combustion engine, we have undergone significant transformation throughout these three quarters of a century. So we broadened our focus very early to the full powertrain, hybridization, electrification in the 2000s, hydrogen and fuel cell in the 2010s, and the whole vehicle. And now we're learning together with our customers about the software-defined vehicle and innovations in the energy sector, employing our own IP and technologies to contribute to the improvements in these industries. But coming back to your original question where can we expect the most dynamic transformations? We see electrification arrived in the mainstream and learned what it can but cannot achieve at the same time. So alternative propulsion systems, the right to win for hybrid technologies, alternative fuels, no matter whether that's green hydrogen or other forms of it. And along that, the question how to create, to store and transport these alternative fuels. And finally, it's the digitalization. So both, for our end products in the form of the software-defined vehicle, as well as in our daily processes alike, like how we will transform our ways of working and our future solution portfolio and offerings. So, well, long story short, quoting Peter Drucker, the only thing we know about the future is that it will be different.
0: Actually, you know, when you do not dare to brag about the achievements from AVL when it comes to a transition from combustion engines to, uh, let's say, modern propulsion types uh, like electrification and so on. So basically, I, I have to do that for you because you started focusing on electrification already 20 years ago. I mean, we have to have that in mind, right? So 20 years ago, that was at that time, very, very bold move and very strategic move. No? So. We will come to that and also we'll go deeper in a bit in the digitalization. But first, let me, with Gustav, let's say, let's take a step back from AVL and look at the whole industry perspective. That is a more challenging question now. So over the the years, the working dynamics between OEMs and development partners like AVL, it is, have changed significantly. So given the extensive experience, especially on the OEM side, could you reflect on what has happened over the last 15, 20 years?
3: Well, I have to say there are some things still relevant and others have really changed in the last 20 years. So, for instance, the commercial vehicle industry, as an example, was and is TCO-driven. And due to that, development and project teams had in the past and still have nowadays to focus on all TCO-relevant factors. So there is, I would say, no change. But when we go a little bit closer to that topic, we can see in the past, for example, fuel efficiency of conventional powertrains, this was a dominant engineering focus, especially in the field of long haul tracking. Today, the energy management and optimization of the vehicle in total is a main focus, especially when we see alternative drivetrains taking decarbonization topic into account. Further, I have to say, cost reduction was an important topic in the past, but I think it's becoming even more relevant in these days due to the fact that the cost pressure of zero-emission products is really, really raising and increasing. In the past, for example, the main focus was on emission regulation. And I have to say, now we have to think about, a more in a more holistic view, taking ESG regulations into account. In the past, passive safety was a really important topic. I would say nowadays, active safety and automatization are dominant topics in that area. And finally, I mean, the weekly itself, it's not anymore a standalone part. It is really an embedded part of the logistic system of the whole value chain. That's it, just in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, but that's not it for me, because when you mention, okay, regulation, then I have to ask this tricky devil question, like, okay, is it then that the innovation in that sector is regulation-driven, or is it more sustainability-driven, or is it more let's say, customer-driven because the people are, well, not the people, but the OEMs are asking for that. So where is, let's say, the course for this change coming from?
3: I mean, talking about ESG a little bit more. I mean, we already in that stage to say ESG is not anymore something like, okay, we want to change the world in the right direction and we should do something. I mean, this is for sure the motivation, but it's still already regulation. So it's really... Uh, a topic which we as a company have to fulfill, or we as an industry have to fulfill, right? Uh, it's something like a base anymore, uh, much more as in the past, because without that, we cannot do business in the industry. And this, I would say, is a huge change.
0: That was maybe the most challenging question already from this panel, but let's see how it will develop. So. <laughs> this was an unprepared question. <laughs> yeah, that is how it goes in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. no? So yeah. you, you want it to be challenged now, yeah, you will yeah. be challenged. So, And now we go not wide, but we go deep. So Mario, we now turn to the importance of digitalization, data management, and analytics in the automotive industry. We often hear the phrase, data is the new gold, which clearly emphasizes the immense value of it. In some cases, it can even be monetized, and it's better when it is, right? So what approach is AVL taking in this area, and where do you see the biggest business potential?
1: Yeah, in the automotive industry, the data analytics and digitalization arrived honestly a little late compared to other industries. Nevertheless, I think the industry has recovered in all aspects which are very much linked to the end user, the driver, the in-use phase. I still see a big potential in the digitalization and especially data analytics in the development phase and the link then later to the in-use phase. During the development of products, a huge amount of data is generated. Our approach is to reuse measurements from a specific, as an example, vehicle measurements, in specific domains, so that we not only one department is using it, also maybe a completely different department can use data in a generic way. We have developed for that a tool, a platform, the AVL Data Analytics Platform, and that helps us to identify deviations very early during this process. So I, I would not say data is the new goal. I would say the lean handling of data and the diff- to understand the different perspectives of the data. This is the right approach and this will help us to make more business in a more efficient way, more effective way.
0: Thank you very much also for the honesty and transparency in the beginning when you say that you do not use the whole potential, what is open there. And could you give us some numbers on that? So like, do you have the feeling you are already using like 30% of the potential or where do you stand now? If it's
1: possible at all. Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) uh, quite tough to give you a percentage. But in the the industry, I think during the development phase, I I think we even have not reached 50% of the potential how to use data. And uh, I'm not talking about big data. I'm talking about data and uh, the correlated analytics to that.
0: Anyway, that's even maybe positive because then you can start from, not zero, but from 50% and even do something better with that. And yeah, potential is always good. So therefore, we go now even deeper with that. So with the digitalization topic, but this time with Mattia. So what role does digitalization play within the development process at OEMs? So can you share some business cases that come to your mind if
2: you are allowed to, let's say? Well... The digitalization that we do for our customers, and I think we're already a big step there, where we have not even touched the bear potential, and if I need to quantify it, I think we would be even below 10%, is in the area how we use analytics, how we use AI or data-driven methods to improve our own working. We now just started our first pilot where we use a long, large language model based on AI to create out or to start to create our own product descriptions. And there are quite a few questions around that because there is a lot of, well, usable AI platforms and models out there, no matter whether that's Copilot or chat GPT. But there are like open source and out there in the cloud. So the big question behind that is not how we want to employ the methods, but which ones we use and how can we protect our IP in that. Because no matter how you use that, not anybody can use that. So using analytics models, the IP is what how we employ them and how we train them. So this is our specific technology and IP. And for example, ChatGPT is a brilliant example. If you know how to ask ChatGPT the proper questions, you can find out who has asked them which questions before and what data they gave them to train them. But I think this is only the beginning and we have a lot of our day-to-day tasks that need currently a lot of manual labor, that need education and experience, but not necessarily the engineering creativity or the scientific ingenuity that we want. And this is the next step in, in industrial efficiency increase and lowering our own cost base so that our people can focus on what they are really good at, creating something new. And I personally don't like the term artificial intelligence it's not intelligence in the most common way. It's just a pure mathematical model that can employ known solutions to problems or predict the future if and only if the future has significant resemblance with the past. But apart from the large language models, which is the most intuitive step why we use them for, because the majority of people in AVL, English is not a natural language, so, at least on the language side, even if we have to train them the engineering specifics, what we want AI to bring down to paper, to bring down and verbalize it, the language will be much better. But apart from that, these tools can help us to improve our everyday engineering tasks even better than humans. Think about, I don't know, large facility installations that we do in test systems, like complete test centers. You need to provide, I don't know, cooling, electricity, compressed air, numerous locations, diverse quality and quantities, pipings. Here AI can make all these layout better and faster than engineers. Even set up a project plan, but at the point where you quickly and creatively need to change your project plan, we again have to rely on our engineers and project managers to give you the. Where we also see the differentiation.
0: You brought up really, really interesting topic because you basically will have also to prepare your people not to be afraid of using yes. AI, you know, so that they don't have the fear like I'm losing my job, right? So when
2: I think so I have a very. This, We started in the 19th century with industrialization. We had the automation in the 1970s and 80s, robots and digitalization, and the digitalization coming in the 2000s. And by that, we always needed a larger more educated workforce to provide that if you think of don't want to sound from too high above but a lesser educated job think about taxi drivers who might get out of a job because of autonomous driving but compared to a taxi driver to i don't know an agricultural daily worker in the 19th century so we've all progressed step by step and this will be the next progress so there is no need to have fear
0: Yeah. And we will talk about that a bit more because we will talk also about new skills in the automotive industry and how to, to teach people, let's say, so that no one is left behind. But first, let's focus on the technical topics. Gustav, you already mentioned in your previous reply decarbonization, specifically in the bus and truck sector. Could you please provide us with insights into the current state in terms of what is feasible technology-wise and at the same time, what is economically viable?
3: Let's try. I have to say, first of all, the situation of the commercial vehicle industry is really diverse. And that's on one side from region to region different and on the other side also from segment to segment different. So I would say let's have a look for today at Europe and let's have a look how the situation looks like here in Europe. The city bus segment, I think this is well-known and, and common. It's a front-runner segment because the transformation there is ongoing since years. And it seems electrified battery, solu- the battery solution is fulfills the needs for this segment best. On the other hand, the zero-emission target picture of heavy-duty trucks and coaches is quite different. All in all, due to my knowledge, hydrogen seems to be the main future energy carrier here. And due to that, for heavy duty, trucks and coaches, the fuel cell technology, I want to say for the time being, is a preferred technology. And we can see that as from 2027 on, because due to my knowledge, many OEMs will bring fuel cell trucks and coaches on the road. So let's see, it will come up very soon. Yeah, you've mentioned already the financial point of view, the cost point of view, the product cost of fuel cell trucks and coaches there is no doubt, a significant higher as conventional trucks. So it will be interesting to see how the cost will develop based on future innovations and on scale effects. I mean, this is, I would say, a huge challenge of the whole industry because end of the day, as I said before, this industry is so much TCO-driven. And this has to be in a certain range, this TCO perspective. Also, it's interesting, due to my point, from my perspective, how this more and more upcoming competition between fuel cell technology on one side and the hydrogen combustion engine on the other side will develop in the future. Taking also into account that, for example, trucks and coaches with a hydrogen combustion engine will have a cost advantage in comparison to fuel cell products. Let's see how this will further develop.
0: Thank you very much for this very good summary. And actually, you said it twice due to my knowledge and very humbly, no? So, but no need for that. I mean, now talking to my audience, no? so when Gustav tells you something about decarbonization, you better listen because there are decades of experience at Daimler in the past. So therefore, yeah. It's deep, deep knowledge. So it's not just like, yeah, humbly saying, due to my knowledge and I have no idea about it. No, he has, let's say, a wide, wide range of knowledge about that. And now seeing also that from the other side, from the technology development company as AVL. So let's go again a bit deeper in the technical things, because Mario, in addition to what Gustav just said now about the technological change. We need to recognize that the whole decarbonization involves more than just these technical advances. We also need to consider the dependence on the energy sector. And I know that AVL is actively preparing for the future in this regard. So could you, Mario, please explain the specific measures that you are taking for your customers?
1: Let me start on a very simple side. When we do battery electric solutions, is it for passenger car or is it for truck? We need to understand the infrastructure, what is possible on the charging side. So when we need to understand what is possible on the charging side, we need to also to say, what can be improve? So we are working on high-power charging, so megawatt charging on the truck side. There are solutions available from our side. And if you have, are on this side, you also need to understand the complete grid because that's the next uh, step you need in your whole system optimization. But some of our solutions are based back on measures that we take already 20 years ago. So we invested heavily in fuel cell 20 years ago already. And a lot of our fuel cell technology is now helping us to provide energy solutions like how do we come to hydrogen? How, what do we make when hydrogen is available to come back to le- electricity? And all of our e-fuels uh, solutions. So e-fuel is, is also something which is maybe not for the, on the transportation side on, on passenger car, available on a wide range but for sure we will need it for aviation for sure we will need it for on, on the ship side and there are different kind of e-fuels which allow that and avl solutions are to have patents available to have technical solutions available that our customers can bring into production to produce e-fuel to produce hydrogen and this is also something which is very important for us to support the industry also on this side
0: Now, when I look back at the whole conversation so far, you mentioned e-fuels, you mentioned all hydrogen, fuel cells, BEVs, internal combustion engines, everything. So basically, now I would like to open up the whole discussion to all of you. So AVL emphasizes its commitment to technology openness. It's so visible here in this discussion, right? So, and particularly concerning the different propulsion systems. Now, when we really talk about propulsion systems, in other words, AVL works on a broad range of technologies to meet the customer's mobility demands. So, do you consider it risky to position yourself so broadly? Or, asking that the other way around, would you say it's even riskier not to do so? So, who would like to start? Or, Mario, would you like to continue? Well,
1: happy to. I think the risk is not to follow the path of our customers. Our customers have complete different solutions and follow different paths depending on their Local boundary conditions, local environment, and also uh, what the governments push in the different uh, regions. So for us, um, I'm 100% sure that it would be a big risk not to be technology open. So we need to follow our customers on this side. Okay, I know this is a very uh, follow the customer. But for us, due to the global setup, due to the global customers, we need to be very open. So I think this is the perfect thing. And we should not underestimate what we can contribute so we can contribute in reducing the CO2 footprint on each technology and all will be a small puzzle to come to the big uh, picture that we want to be CO2 neutral. So I, I think to support all of our customers in a wide range is something which makes also a lot of sense for us and in the global for our environment.
0: Actually, it might sound for you like a cliche, right? As you said, follow the customers. But basically, that is a working method for you.
2: So therefore, it's practice No. And I think you mentioned well it, Ludmilla, quite earlier. We have been in electrification for more than 20 years. We started more than 10 years ago, fuel cell and electrification. And back then, it seems like we have been, and while well, our chief exec and owner is a brilliant guy and can predict the future. Yeah, but there are a few steps along the way that we just needed to drop. Being technology opener only means that you are not limiting yourself and your imagination what the future may hold. If you could tell me now what the future may hold for mobility technologies, where we'll all consolidate to in 20 years, I might even quit my job if I have certainty to it and just bet my money on it. So, yes, we keep ourselves open, but still be prepared that not every branch in all of these avenues might lead to the future, but we have a very high probability that a few of those will lead us to a very prosperous future as well, as it did in the past.
3: Well, I think RWL really strives for technology openness, and I really believe it's more dangerous not to do so for us. Definitely, because we see the clear need for a bundle of technologies just to fulfill the different industry boundaries and conditions. And uh, we really see there is not no, there's no one technology which fulfills everything here. And for instance, as we already talked about, battery-related solutions makes a lot of sense, for example, for the passenger car segment and the light-duty truck segment. But if, it's really different when we look at heavy-duty trucks when we look at the agriculture industry, when you look at the marine or aviation industry. And that's why, again, our will strives for technology openness and uh, I think this is really the right way for the industry and for
2: us.
0: And it's pretty nice to see that you all agree, you know, you are all aligned, everything is
2: harmonic, so well no, I done. I think that that is the common basis that we have. And if we might be considered very bold on the technology side, there I think we are not very bold because if... Yeah, please excuse me, the example of the casino. We don't put all our money on one number, but we just, well, we we share it to red and black alike. Depends (laughs) to the topic.
0: Nice strategy, yeah. (laughs) Now I have a very easy question because, yeah, Maria, I would like to ask you something about uh, daily business. So, Maria, as the EVP of Engineering and Technology, you're responsible for addressing strategic requests regarding the future. When faced with such situations where there may not be an immediate lucrative business opportunity, but only potential, how do you decide which projects deserve allocation of R&D resources? And additionally, does AVL allocate a portion of its budget specifically for crazy and bold projects? Let me call them like this, crazy and bold.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, first of all, at least on the engineering side, all of our activities are called R&D on our customer side. Our R&D is uh, the activities are facing, of course, also pre-pre-development phases. So, examples already mentioned, there yeah, are fuel cell 20 years ago. Electrification uh, started during the crisis 2009. Yeah? No customer at all. It was, I think, a little crazy and bold to start that, to build a ba- better electric car at this time. So, with our AVL value, to have this pioneering spirit, we need to make commitments to innovation. As a very clear answer, we absolutely allocate budget for, as you call it, crazy and bold projects. The key element for us is to identify as early as possible if we should go ahead or stop an idea. Nobody wants to fail, but if you want to reach the boundaries of physics, failing is part of our life. So as mentioned, The key is to stop it early enough if an idea cannot be followed up and have that also in the culture of the company that it was a good way. We learned something. We know now for the next development uh, how we do it may be different.
0: I dare to ask now, let's say, a bold question, even uh, you are allowed to say no, it's not allowed to be asked, but I will try anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So can you mention, let's say, an example of a crazy bold project that is currently running or is that completely, let's say, under confidential doors?
1: You decide. Uh, (laughs) No, I I would not go for this path, (laughs) Ludmilla. Sorry, sorry for that. (laughs) I have to Uh, accept
0: that. I mean, I will always try to ask, but uh, if I get annoyed, it's it's a no. (laughs)
1: uh, No, it's a good point. But as you said, and I want to use the, the example from the casino. If we now go for one, we have some crazy ideas. We go for one specific number. We bet our money on one specific number. And as we are not the worst players in the world, I guess some other ones would also follow us, uh, mm-hmm. just say, okay, why not go this path? Yeah, And when we invest, of course, uh, we also want to be, my first sentence, we want to be one step ahead. That needs to be our goal. So that's why, I, uh, sorry for that, not the craziest ideas currently
3: shared. Miller, maybe we don't want to show okay. up. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't want to show up how crazy and bold we are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no one wants to brag. Yeah, I understood. It's okay. (laughs) I will digest that easily. (laughs) Matthias, let's continue with you. And I didn't mention so far, but in your previous role at AVL, You were responsible for racing at AVL's test solution division. And then you went to UK to work as director of motorsport at McLaren for two and a half years. And now you are back at AVL. And I'm curious to know what you think are the most valuable lessons you have learned from the motorsport industry, especially in terms of processes and speed.
2: I think the first thing I want to mention there there is so much you can take away from motorsport into any other industries, but at the same time, there's even more things you need to drop instantly because it will not work on the outside world. Just as a motorsport is a very peculiar industry. Just take Formula One. Each team has nine competitors that produce the identical product that you have, that have the same business model and are fighting for the same customers which is attention of the audience and the sponsors. And on top of that, you meet every two weeks to see who has the best product, joined with the dynamics of a single human operating your product in this competition, mixed with quite some luck or even misfortune. So the speed for that is very inherent because whenever in in any other industry, depending on how long your product development cycles are, is that you... See the match and get the feedback, how you compete with the competition. These timeframes are much, much longer, which means you can be more bold in motorsport because the impact is next to nothing. Yes, you win a race, you lose a race. You win a season, you lose a season. But if your product in an industry is really unsuccessful, that can throw you back for years or even means that you risk your company. So you must be much more diligent in taking your decisions. But coming to your question, major takeaways for I think almost 15 years in professional motorsports are, that work also in an environment is AVL. First one is fail, but fail fast and learn from it. And within that, take every possible step to improve. Do not cut corners. And everyone, every single one, no matter how big or small, contributes to the success. And no matter how big your success is, remain humble and agile, as you may not end up At the end of the field, you may end up at the end of the field at the next race or even at the next season. So, do not hesitate to take a decision when you need to, but at the same time, don't take a decision when it's not the time, as you would strip yourself of other options that might still come along the way while you wait for it to become urgent. And in that, be always aware about what is urgent and what is important. And I think constantly challenge the status quo.
0: Do that? choose rather to work on the important things uh, than the urgent ones so no. to, to get to the right
2: timing? Even if it's urgent, but not important, you can ignore it. And if it's important, but not urgent, there is still some time to wait because some more things might get along the way. Focus on urgent and important, either wait or ignore.
0: But I really noticed that it goes back to what Mario said at the very beginning. So, Matthias, you said you win a race, you lose a race. It's it's like part of the game, right? Mario mentioned also before, like, no fear of failure. So that goes really along that and really matching in the the whole company culture, let's say. So now, Gustav, I already mentioned that you have experience from your decades of working directly for an OEM. So. What insights, networks, processes, etc. helped you the most in your new job, let's call it, on the other side of the food chain?
3: <laughs> well, I had to think really twice about that question. What is maybe in the end of the the really, really most important point? And I believe it's something like, I would call it blind understanding I see between my business partners and myself, because... We all have the same background, and that makes business discussion and negotiations so much more efficient. And, and yeah, it seems we are more on the same page because of my CTO background. This is maybe the most important point I recognized here.
0: And you had to think twice why again? I, I didn't get it actually. Because it, it's not. To make it politically like, correct okay, or not? <laughs>
3: you know, you can count one plus one is three or something, or two, whatever. So it's really something okay, what is the main point behind the sense a little bit? Huh? Okay, I see.
0: So now we go to my most favorite topic, and it is collaborations. Actually, AVL has its own startup hub called Creators Expedition, where startups can get methodological support, test their business models, and also check their relevance for AVL, it also for the industry in general, right? So now a question to all of you each in your own area of activity. Where are your interfaces with Creators Expedition and how do you benefit from this kind of
2: internal collaboration? Okay, let me start. We have, apart from Creators Expedition, we have rapid innovation team, we have constant innovation process, and those are crucial to our technology forthcoming, which is basically for our people help think outside the box but with now a lot of new technologies and as you mentioned earlier the necessity to speed up our time to market creators expectation is not only the possibility to look outside our box but inside other people's boxes and i think that's quite important and for the testing solutions side where we think we will benefit and where we have already benefited quite a lot is the partnering around digitalization analytics AI. Mario mentioned it. Automotive industry might not be the ones that have really driven the technology very forward. And there are still a lot of questions that need to be answered or problems that need to be solved around how we can retain our IP, what's this data safety, what's the security models behind that. But there are people out there that have a performance technology knowledge advantage over us. And there is so much momentum in in this area amongst the different industries where we have the possibility to really accelerate our own offering by finding the right partners and create this expedition is the ideal outfit to search for, to assess and finally find the ideal partners for us.
0: Thank you. Mario?
2: I may
1: add, yeah, so the team is really integrated part of our innovation strategy. It's really this outside in and I would see two two main topics. So the, the scouting, and the co-innovation within projects across the whole business field. So it's not only engineering, it's testing, simulation, it can be really across. Secondly, I think we development of new trends and business models with, which are concerned to the tech teams and the business fields. And this collaboration is so important because when we talk as the big AVL with the startups, yeah, we want to work together. We don't want to have them in the company and they are then AVL. We want to have collaboration models and the team around the the Creators Expedition helps us to have the spirit that our partners, the startups really feel that it's not about taking over a company. It's finding, helping each other to come to a better business model.
3: Yeah, let me highlight just a real example of collaboration because we are allowed to talk about that and this is about a startup company in UK, the name is First Hydrogen, and the aim of that company is uh, to manage a small fuel cell light duty truck field fleet in the field. And on one side, we support them on the engineering side, and on the other side, and I re- really believe this is a win-win situation. It's for us a good good point to get direct access to you know, to informations about the market. So. For example, how our, we get really direct information to how our technology solutions perform in daily operations. And this, I would say, is really a win-win situation, cooperation of RVL on one side with a startup in UK.
0: Thank you very much for this example, because examples make it always a bit more vivid and dynamic, let's say. And let me also open up this discussion topic of, let's say, success stories now also to Matthias and Mario, because do you have, let's say, a favorite success story where the spirit of innovation and collaboration is celebrated? So maybe a collaboration that you initiated or that brought in particularly a lucrative business or where something really like industry changing and groundbreaking has been achieved. So do you have something to share as well?
1: We have a, a start. I think one, one really uh, big step, well, I mentioned it before, when we 2009 built our first battery electric vehicle. That was something where a, a huge momentum was going through the engineering team because uh, engineers that did combustion engines were brought in with experts from outside to do something together in a complete new direction. So that was really something, a big step for us. We continued that. Uh, we built a car in 2012. For, which a dedicated hybrid powertrain, so and a complete new transmission with electrificate with e-motors integrated. Again, something where we brought a lot of teams together and, and a lot of clever guys came together to come to a solution, which was not ready for the market because when when I presented it first time to the, to customers, the customers I, I, you see in the eyes of the customers if you touch it on the right time, we were too early. But two or three years later, we made big, big SOP programs based on this uh, innovation. Not the same, but based on the customer's boundary conditions. And we continue that. We now build a fuel cell truck currently together. Uh, it's, just, again, a big, big step for us. I mentioned before our data analytics platform. It's, it's something which came out of the engineering team, the idea how we can handle that. We cross-shared that with the other business units in, for the testing team, that we need to do something together. And always this momentum is very positive then. First, there are some questions you see, uh, will everybody want to join? Is it really the best idea to do it in this way? But then when we teamed up, it's really cool what we can achieve together. And I would see this four examples really motivating the team, also motivating myself, uh, to be honest, to see what is possible in this company.
0: Was somebody honest enough to tell you afterwards, after three years, to say like, we have Better we had listened to you, let's say, no? something like this, so like kind of regret in the hand side. What do you think? think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, no. Realistically, I still the, think the, no. The best
1: feedback is uh, honestly when you get the development task from the customer. That's the best feedback, and, and nobody needs to say we should better listen to you. It's good when they work uh, together with us, then we know we are on the right uh, path. The direction is okay.
0: But still, you know, it's building trust. So the next time when you come up with some bold and crazy ideas, let's use this term now. So but then there's like maybe there's a potential, you know, the last time you were right as well. So (laughs) maybe there is something
2: Hopefully, hopefully.
0: Yeah. So Matthias, do we have also a success story Uh, to share?
2: I mean, AVL, we have a lot of success stories. We have some failure stories, but we have a lot of success stories. But as children, as everybody has his or her favorite child, we also I think everybody also has, even if we will never admit to it, we also have our favorite success stories. And mine again, it lies again in the unity of these three strategic business units working together actively collaborating and my example starts again in motorsports in formula one to be precise back then in 2014 f1 moved on to a hybrid formula and by that their respective system complexity increased dramatically So we sat down together two years before they had to introduce that in 2012 with experts from simulation, engineering, and testing, and tried to figure out what the new problems, which one might arise by this change in their respective technology. And we detailed Two major aspects. First of all, they will have a big problem with systems integration, which was already a big experience from the electrification and hybridization in our own R&D activities that Mario pointed out earlier. And then the interaction of the propulsion system in a hybrid system with the brakes on the car. So in a conventional powertrain, one can develop the brakes pretty much independent from the powertrain. But as you try in a hybrid or electric car to harvest as much Kinetic energy as possible back into the battery during the braking events, these two systems must work together as one. And this is when we started to think up, design, and build a test bed that takes the entire car and simulates all the rest, which means the ambient condition, track grip, tire grip, tire wear, even the driver. Whilst at the latest stage, we even put the driver back in the loop into the driving simulator and let it operate the real car on the test bed. Well, this whole story, I think, could fill a whole podcast. So I'll, uh, but to sum it up, now 10 years later, we have our own core competence in driving simulators. We operate these test beds here in Graz and rent it out to our customers and use it for development projects. Every major motorsports customer in the world has now one of these, and it laid to the foundation to our competence in brake testing, which is one of our latest product introductions from the test system side, as Euro 7 emissions legislation asks for a limitation in particulate emission from brake pads. And again, AVL has the solution ready. But that's now a, a, a journey of 10 years where one thing leads to another, but strategically laid out by a bunch of people that were very visionary in the beginning, across all the different business units.
0: How important it is to have those visionary people in your team. And now let's really go in this direction. So let's combine the tech world that we talked about now and combine that with the human world. So because you have to bring also your employers, let's say, with, with you with all those challenges and with all those transitions and changes. So let's make it in the next question for Mario cars are evolving to become increasingly digital and complex and encompassing not only propulsion systems, but also power electronics, connectivity, infotainment, and much, much more. Mario, in the face of this challenge, how does AVL address the need for its employees to acquire new and entirely different skills to keep up with this progress?
1: I think we need to differentiate between uh, different aspects how we can handle that. Of course, we do R&D to learn something. We do create this expedition to get know-how from outside in. We, we get engineers from other companies, uh, from universities to have a, a different mindset. But what I always want to emphasize, I think AVL is a know-how company. I don't want to have the people that they, they're sitting in and say, I'm, I'm the, I don't know, combustion engine guy. As an example, people know how to do application on combustion engines maybe. They know how to do the air path on the combustion engine and do the calibration that the car drives in the best way. That people, that engineers, also need a little training to do the same exercise for fuel cell. Because the technology and the know-how you need is very close by. They have the tools which are used. They have the know-how, the understanding. They have SOB. so be a know-how and understanding. So why not using the know-how of different products from different engineers in, in a wider range? So this is what we do. We have also adjusted our organization in that way to allow that in a very easy way so that you not uh, need to change the organization twice if you want to do application on fuel cell and once for a combustion engine. We have a very similar topic when you talk about uh, designing. When you design a battery housing, you are maybe also capable to design a fuel cell housing. This is something we try a lot to make the boundaries to step in into new technology, new products, quite low, so that we have easy access to these new technologies. So that's one path we follow very consequently.
0: When I see that in this way, so that, let's say, openness, mindset and curiosity are much more important than, let's say, narrow skill in a particular technical topic. Now, so you can always teach people to widen their topics.
1: Right. But you need this very dedicated experts as well. But you need on the other side also some, some engineers which are very wide in the, and they have the right mindset to bring in also the, the big learnings and know-how from other products.
0: So now, Matthias, a question for you, because having your motorsport background in mind, which is known for it, really extraordinary speed, as we mentioned already before, how do you mentally prepare yourself to consistently deliver top performance in such a vibrant
2: environment? Well, I think it is the combination of skills, mindset, but also humility. The humility in a way that other people are brilliant alike, no matter if that's your competition, learn something from that and don't think that you're superior. But also in the discussion with your colleagues, every now and then just shut up, listen and ask questions. They have brilliant ideas. And even if your idea is quite good, together it might and will get even much further. And I think that is a common misconception. Motorsport is not so much as an innovator by itself but it masters uh, the adoption of technologies in the constant pursuit of improvement. So real innovation, real technology development is done in research labs at universities and even the specific parts of our company where we do the research and drive innovations, like the examples we've already heard of. And the major difference between motorsports and other industries might lie in the fact that the boundary conditions for motorsports constantly change. So racing is constantly looking for the optimum, but this optimum is not solely bound or constrained by the physical limitations. It is foremost a pleasure industry, an industry that uses technology for entertainment. And by that, the technical and sporting regulations constantly evolve, and their target is to provide a brilliant show for the audience. It is a show. And by that, you. There is no fixed optimum for a question because the boundary conditions constantly change. So you need to stay on your toes. You cannot rest. You need to stay humble. But coming back to the question, so skills and talent, they are the necessary prerequisite. But mindset makes the ultimate difference between winning and losing and then a little fortune.
0: Yeah, a little fortune always. Oh, <laughs> actually, you are also again closing the loop to what already Mario said, and it's really a nice alignment. So that really, I mean, you you have to have the the technical skills and the talents, but the mindset and the curiosity and the openness is also super super important. And also like w- what you said, also super inspiring. Actually, how to see your competitors in a positive way, so you can always always learn from anyone. And now, Gustav, it's your time to share a little bit of live wisdom with us because you have a huge advantage, actually, in the whole round because you just recently arrived at AVL. And this means also you possess this fresh perspective. And having gained experience from both the OEM side and the supplier side now, you're well aware that both sides achieve remarkable results but also can make occasional mistakes. And it's nothing bad or good. It's just supernatural for human nature, right? So let's focus on the positive aspects. It's still a very positive podcast. So from your experience on both sides, what methods, skills, or techniques have you learned to foster innovative thinking?
3: I have to say uh, many points... Basically, we have to take into account, but from my perspective, first of all, I want to say I really see RVL as a really innovative company, really from an innovation point of view, from an innovation power, clearly above industry average. And in the last six months, I asked myself several times, okay, why is that? And I believe one thing is very important. RVL as a company, RVL, I would say, as a brand, seems to be very attractive for innovative people. So it's for RWL. I, I wanna say today for us, I would not say easy, but we are really able to get the right people on board. And taking this into account, for sure, it's so important to lead innovative people in the right way. So I'm talking now about the right leadership style and there's no difference between OEMs, tier one, tier two, or a company like RWL. That means we have to accept that sometimes we have to move two steps backwards before we can move one step forward. This is an important thing to give innovative people enough time and space to be really innovative. And I would say this is these are boundary conditions we really have here at RBL and this is maybe also one of the big differences. and this counts really.
0: Is then the secret how to lead innovative people in, let's say, giving them as much freedom as possible? I mean, that's not possible, right? I mean, you cannot give just as much freedom as possible. <laughs> there are budget limitations, et cetera, et cetera. So, so how to do that? Yeah, now, yeah. question for all of you.
3: I mean, as always, it's a question of the right balance, right? So as I said, we, you can stretch that to, some, to something that we will never come up with really results we can use for the industry, on the other side you can you can push this too much and bring too much pressure in the teams and you will get nothing. Not really innovation, I would say. You will get something, but not
2: really innovations. I would even slightly disagree with you, Ludmilla. We actually give the people as much freedom as possible. We just have to define the boundaries of what is possible in a technological and eco-social and economical way. What is the possible time frame? Then we let the people free run uh, and try to catch them in diverse forum and procedures and processes, how we can capture this creativity again, no matter if that's for a good new product or to innovate the way that we are working, or again with Creators Expedition outside the box. That's just giving Creators Expedition, for example, as much creativity and freedom as possible because funds are limited, but go out there, you know what we're doing, who could improve our offering and not tell them how to do their job, but rather tell people what we expect from them.
0: Let me first, before I comment, let me first hear the reply from Mario. If he also sees that, okay, do whatever you want.
1: <laughs> I think you I mentioned what's possible and don't get the harmony here wrong. We have big disagreements also in the, with our engineers. Yeah? When you are an innovative company and you make a huge investment in R&D like AVL, it's not everybody likes boundary conditions. If you have uh, engineers that are super creative, uh, they will always tell you, it's not enough Mario, it's not enough uh, colleagues, we need to do more, why, why we, do we stop now? It's a big challenge to find this what is possible, and what is necessary. But that's our job. That's why I guess we all like it. It's better to live in an environment like that where you get this pressure to even be more innovative, to run in more directions based from your engineers, than to be on the other side and say, we need more, we need more, we need more. So it's a nice balance that we need to make sure to have that in the company.
0: But that's now really, really cool and interesting that you said like, okay, don't get it wrong. So the whole harmony, you also fight about topics and also with the engineering side and so on. So... That, that makes it superhuman experience. I mean, I would not believe it otherwise as well, no? So, I mean, so we, therefore...
2: We are now on the mm-hmm, brink of Mathias? making 2 billion euros revenue and we reinvest 10 to 12% last year, it's been 11% of our revenue into R&D. That seems like a huge amount of money. But as Mara said, if you let the engineers run free with, that's gone in January and will not last until December, if you let them really free. So within what is possible, feasible, and also commercially viable in the end.
0: I can kind of summarize it as a Steve Jobs approach. Now, you you know that quote, I, I just freely, let's say, uh, say that it's it's not the, the correct way, but he said, like, you hire talented people so that they can tell you what to do and not you hire them to tell them what they should do. No? So therefore, that's exactly the way how, how you consider that. No? so now let's come back to the start of our discussion, and it was the AVLs claim reimagining the motion so the seventy fifth anniversary. So how do you all reimagine the future of mobility for the next thirty years? That's challenging
1: that's challenging, yeah, but I think we talked a lot about openness of technology and to reimagine we also need to provide an environment for our team that, that are open for ideas, open for new perspectives, and it's it's not On on a single location, we are a global company, so we need to listen to all of our engineers on a global base. That's our job, to bring that together and make the right decisions based on that, what we bring together. I think to provide solutions for motion and energy uh, for a sustainable future, that's a sentence you will uh, hear from a lot of companies. On our perspective, it's our job, it's my job to provide the environment to the team that allows, supports, and even pushes that in the spirit of innovation and openness.
2: Yeah, in all of that, I mean, I think Mario and both Gustav are much better equipped to give you a precise answer on what the mobility might look like. But let me try to sum it up what I'm missing from a perspective being a user of mobility. My biggest challenge still consists of the interfaces and imposed waiting times Mobility. If I take the example of me traveling overseas, I might jump on a cab to get to the train station, taking the train to the next airport, hopping on a flight, taking a rental car to reach my final destination. Waiting, uh, organizing, checking in, boarding, waiting, 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 micro wait times. If we think about the time frame of 30 years, I would be looking forward to an end-to-end mobility service. And at the moment, everybody in the mobility sector, to me it seems, is focusing on their individual portion of mobility, Mm -hmm. including rideshare, air travel, railways, micromobility. Nobody is really trying to improve the user experience end-to-end. Yet, I do not think AVL will necessarily become a mobility provider, but at least I think we are a brilliant partner to help and solve this myriad of small and bigger problems for people to get there.
0: Inspiring vision, actually, of the future. So if it's really like an end-to-end solution. No? Gustav, what is your view? We have now high expectations, as, as Matthias mentioned. No? Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. A few pressure on my shoulders. <laughs> you can handle it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, first of all, I think uh, in the next 30 years, we can, can really do a lot together. And uh, as we said also at the beginning of this session here, for sure we are crazy and we can be also very bold. So let's be crazy and bold. So maybe we can do it really as it is already shown more than 50 years ago in this very famous Starship Enterprise movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
2: talking yep. about beaming, right? Maybe yeah, we yeah, can yeah. Do that. So- <laughs> Who knows? Teleportation yeah. I would be all for it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah who wouldn't? Ne? <laughs> okay, yeah. Now you, you might think like, okay, now you, you made that through the challenging technical topics and so on, but now it's getting really challenging. So to conclude our episode, I would like to ask a few additional questions about your personal growth as individuals and as leaders. A part of the technical and strategic discussions, Our listeners always appreciate valuable personal insights shared by our guests. So here's a question to each of you. As EVPs, life can often be stressful, fast-paced, and let's be honest, overwhelming. In such moments, when you find yourself stuck or when stress level becomes too high, what practices, what methods do you rely on to navigate through these challenging times? Mario, would you like to start?
1: For me, one important thing is really sports. It's durability sports, but it's, I'm open for all of the sports. It, for me, really, uh, the point where, which clears my mind, which give find the right view to topics which are blocking my mind. The second thing is, is always to talk to, to people which are not in our industry. So sometimes it really helps to see things in the right perspective. And I really want to say right perspective, because there are people out there which have real problems which are handling also really tough, tough, uh, challenging tasks. And it helps a lot to bring it to the right level, what, what your own problems are and what your own stress level is. And this is the family. These are friends. Uh, but, but this is also when, when, you, when you go out and learn people which you have not met before. So this, this is really inspiring and, and helps a lot to see the, the things in the right perspective, I would call it.
0: Then the right challenge is only actually only uh, to prioritize those blocks that you say, for example, for sport, when times is really challenging, that you have the feeling like, actually, I don't have time for that. No? So do you know that issue?
1: Uh, I know that issue, absolutely. But the alternative is not to do it and be, become very inefficient. So that's why I personally do it on a daily basis, even if it's very short. So I do it uh, every day on a very short uh, uh, time period, which is blocked and I will do it. Yeah. No matter how tired I am, uh, no matter that I have maybe some other ideas, but this helps me a lot uh, in to survive in this environment, as you call it.
0: Yeah, and actually also to keep that as a habit, now, which is super, super essential. Yeah, Matthias, what is it for yeah,
2: you? I mean, focus and priority. And we all know the term work-life balance, but I personally could myself never familiarize with that term as I don't see a strict separation between work and life. So both need to exist in a non-competing union. So if I need to sum it up, it's focus and joy. So the focus to do the things that are important and urgent. And if that's physically activity, you need to focus on it because it becomes urgent because as Mario said, otherwise the consequence would be for you to become non-functional anymore. And thrive for the optimum. So even in some cases, the optimal outcome might not be really good given the circumstances. It's still the best outcome and you can be proud of that. And then there's the joy in everyday work. No matter whether that is mastering a new technology, successfully bringing a new product to market, spending time with like-minded people, just chasing a common goal. And to celebrate this joy. And after all, I try to take this element of celebration that is so inherent in motorsports but also quite a central part of AVL. Because I think there are a few workplaces where you take every opportunity, and I mean really every, to celebrate a victory. And even standing on a podium, spraying champagne and then sharing the bottle is a very powerful thing to do.
0: Now you give a lot of insights, so first you talk about Casino, now you talk about standing on a podium champagne, okay, and that tells us a lot, (laughs) no, just kidding, but nice to see that how different you also see inspiration, for example, for Mario, it's like talking to different people that do not think in the same way you like, or prefer maybe like like like-minded people now, so at least there are some differences, you are not like identical twins, that's already good, yeah. So, Gustav, would you like to add something? What is it for you? Yeah, first I have to
3: say, I'm a little bit closer to that, What Mario has mentioned. So this exercising uh, durability sport is really, really something which works for me, thousand time proven. So imagine a slow and long run in the forest. This is really something which brings challenges, the right perspective, and really, really helps me to, yeah, on one side, as you said, to survive. And sometimes it's really, we have to say to survive. But I would say also in general, it's also about being able to enjoy what we are doing in, in business life. Now, this is really, really something which uh, yeah, I really love to have this channel.
0: Thank you very much also for this honesty to say like, okay, sometimes it's really about surviving and sometimes like, okay, it's driving, it's enjoying what you actually do and what you fulfill. So, and now we come to the very last question of this podcast. So, Is there any life motto or a quote that you live by? Or also any brief anecdote or an inspiring story you might want to share with our
1: audience? I would say keep it simple. We are in a very complex environment. It's sometimes super tough to understand the path to go. But to keep it simple and drive the, consequently, what you want to do out of that and support your environment with simple analysis, that's something uh, which worked for me a lot in the past i think i share that uh, with my colleagues when, when we talk so that's what i want to see for me it's uh, keep it simple makes it for me this is one of a life motto i would call it
0: inspiring actually you know um, it's also very often used in design eh? so keep it simple minimalistic approach and so on so on, because we consider that also as harmonic and
2: as beautiful eh? so therefore nice matthias you yeah for me i think it's keep on pushing This comes from my early motorsports years when I was working very closely together with the Ferrari Formula One team. I was a Schumacher era in the early 2000s, so team winning race after race. And I think the year was 2002 when they won 15 overall races, which was their most successful season after all. So whenever Ferrari wins a race, they hoist a flag at their main gate to celebrate it, one for each victory in the respective season. So I arrived back from the race after another race victory on the Monday morning at the factory, watching how they had to weld a new flagpole, another new flagpole, to the front gate, as they constantly ran out of empty flagpoles to hoist new flags. In hindsight, a good problem to have. But the mood of the Monday debrief was totally different. So it was a recap of what went wrong, where further potential for improvement lay. So. The Sunday was for celebration, but Monday it was back to work. And both Ross Braun as well as John Todd during these days ended every meeting with the words, keep on pushing. And thinking about this, my motto might be a little bit different. So it's maybe sing when you're winning, but keep on pushing, which might sound more professional than work hard, party hard.
0: <laughs> That's true. And once again, yeah, I just say like champagne and casino. right? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's the red line of of your conversation. (laughs) No kidding again. But it's really, it's again about the balance. Before you said about life-work balance, and now it's about enjoying, celebrating, and really acknowledging those achievements and then seeing, okay, where we can still improve because basically everyone can still improve. That's just a mindset, right? So you are not done yet. And it's a good point. So, Gustav, now your inspiring quote. It does not need to start with keep, you know. (laughs) Even we have keep it simple, keep it pushing. It's
3: not the case. It's not the case. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's the race is not over before the race is really over. And what is the meaning behind that? I mean, when we as human face challenges, when we are in a very competitive environment, sometimes we have this tendency to give up or to give up too early, right? And on the other side, it's not to do, not to give up. This really makes in life so much a difference.
0: Actually, even when when racing is actually more the topic for Matthias, but uh, it's this really, really inspiring quote. And actually, I can only agree on that because a lot of examples. Let's say when when you think like ah, it's not working out, and just one little step ahead, and it is working out. No? So many many times. So. Now I'd like to close this panel discussion. You were really great great pleasure to interview. It was entertaining, it was inspiring, it was super honest and transparent. So really talking also about not just success stories but let's say like that the failures also happen. So we mentioned that. So and also thank you for tolerating my daring questions sometimes, my challenging questions and also giving let's say some boundaries what we can talk and cannot talk about. It's really always good. And yeah I wish you let's say for the next 75 years I wish you all the best keep on surviving keep on inspiring keep on enjoying your work because it's really visible you can notice the energy that comes from because you can fake everything but not energy you know and not just alignment between you and so on but also like how much you love what you actually do it's visible so and I hope also our audience will also feel that so thank you very much
2: Thank you, Ludmilla, also from my side for your time, for the opportunity, but specifically for hosting this lovely chat. I mean, Mario, Gustav and I, we regularly spend quite some quality time together, but most of the time we're a little bit entrenched in the day-to-day needs of our business. So having this opportunity to, on the one side, reflect about the past, but also talk about the future alike, made it again visible for me how much I actually enjoy working for AVL. Thank you for that. Thank you also from my side. Thank you.
0: There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode.